Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgham. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. On each episode of The Pillars, we find a brief resilience topic so you can practically fix any potential roadblocks you encounter and finish a better wingman, airman, and leader. Now, today's topic is a little bit difficult, but in light of some popular shows that have come out on streaming services, we wanted to make sure that we readdressed the topic of suicide. Now, this is a challenging topic, and we understand that some of you have intimate experiences with suicide. You've dealt with it through friends or family members, coworkers have thought about it, and we want to dispel some myths and give some ways ahead to give you the tools to deal with it. So several weeks ago, uh, if you guys remember, I published a Five Minutes to Thrive called The Truth About Suicide. And in it, I talked about how suicide is actually the second leading cause of death uh, for Americans aged 15 to 34, which you recognize is a predominant proportion of those of us who are in the Air Force. Uh, And that's over and above homicide, physical illness, hospital errors. The only thing that kills people in our demographic more than suicide is accidents. So, you know, car accidents, um, people slipping and falling off ladders, things of that nature, the things that maybe we necessarily can't avoid, but suicide is potentially avoidable. Uh, Now, you'll notice that in that Five Minutes of Thrive, I didn't say that we can prevent all suicide, and that's speaking from the perspective of the bystander. We want to be able to reach out to our wingmen and to support them in everything they do and to try to to determine when they may uh, be at risk for harming themselves or taking their own lives. But in actuality, that's uh, almost impossible to do just because we can't read minds and we can't feel exactly what somebody else is feeling. And believe it or not, um, a lot of suicide uh, or people who complete suicide uh, do so impulsively. It's not a long, thought-out, premeditated decision. It's something that's done in the spur of the moment at the height of distress, whereas if somebody had been given uh, given themselves more time to actually think and contemplate on that decision, uh, they may have ultimately decided not to do that. And I think that's a really important point because much of our training highlights the signs of someone contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. However, when those cases occur where there are really very few, if any, indications, some airmen will blame themselves for not seeing things. We look at the situation and say, oh, if I'd looked closer. Well, we are not mind readers, like you said. Right. And if you're blaming yourself about a coworker who's gone through a situation like this, please note that this is not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. It is the member's individual choice. That's really a hard word to say, but you have to know there's a certain level of forgiveness for yourself and recognizing that you are not perfect, you can't read minds, and that you're not responsible for other people's actions. That's absolutely right. And it's in situations like these that we can fall privy to the hindsight bias effect. So yes. I'm, I'm sure you've heard the maxim hindsight is twenty twenty. It's always easier to look back and say, these are the specific points where I could have, or maybe I feel like I should have intervened. But did you know that going forward? With the information you had at the time, would it have made sense to have taken those actions? And most of the time, the answer is no. So you know, get away from trying to blame yourself, uh, but still be cognizant of those potential risk factors. These are the things that are relatively static, that are more readily apparent, but don't necessarily indicate imminent risk for suicide. Things like relationship problems, financial issues, legal problems. These are some of the biggest risk factors uh, that we know of for suicide. But just because somebody has one, two, or maybe all three doesn't necessarily mean they're going to harm themselves. It's just one of those commonalities we've seen in people who may eventually start to consider suicide. So what do we do if someone is looking 
uh, or has some of these warning signs? Well, the first thing you can do is to have the courage to ask. That's simply asking, are you thinking about hurting yourself or killing yourself? Mm -hmm. That's a very difficult question. It takes a lot of courage to ask. And sometimes it, we've been trained so much on it that it can almost sound flippant uh, to the mm -hmm. person. But it's worth asking. If the answer is yes in the affirmative, you want to care about the person. Be with them. Don't leave them. And escort them to a helping professional. That's a first sergeant, chaplain, mental health, uh, the mental health clinic, a mental health professional. Your embedded team here is the art or as our future mental health technicians coming to multiple sites throughout the wing. Wherever you can bring them for help, do not let them out of your care until you get them to assistance. That's an important thing. All right, so not leaving them alone. Make sure that if you do have to leave them, that you have somebody can come and sit in uh, with them while you're going to get somebody or get a phone number, some information, things like that. I want to make the distinction between risk factors and warning signs. Uh, I know I, I just mentioned relationship problems, legal issues, financial problems as risk factors. And now, those can be offset by preventive factors. So maybe somebody has a really optimistic mindset or they have a lot of good friends, mm -hmm. supportive friends around them, or they really care a lot about their family members, they feel loved by their family members. Those could essentially offset those risk factors. The point where we want to intervene is as soon as we identify that some of those risk factors are present or, more importantly, when there are some warning signs. The warning signs are going to be more imminent. So that's when somebody is starting to talk about feeling hopeless, feeling like they're trapped or there's no way, way out, feeling like they're a burden to other people, or even more directly saying they feel like they want to die or they are thinking about hurting themselves. And those are the situations I think that make a lot of us uncomfortable because it's not a common conversation we have and it, it involves putting ourselves out there to where we risk, uh, in our minds at least, hurting, harming the relationship by asking that uh, very sensitive question. But it doesn't have to be difficult. It can just be, um, you can start it out with just an expression of warmth and caring. Yeah. So in a situation like this, say I have a friend who uh, I know does have some of those risk factors and they just gave me a warning sign. Maybe they feel like there's, they're trapped and there's no way out of this current legal financial situation they have. I could say, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. Uh, how have you been feeling lately? How are things going at home? How, how are you doing? Just something vague and open-ended just to convey that you care about them and you're very genuinely interested in, in their well-being. And then once the conversation gets gets going, they start to you know, reveal more about what's what's going on in their situation. You want to ask those more pointed questions. Yes, absolutely. And you want to start with the open-ended for sure. Absolutely. And, and so when it comes time to ask those more direct questions, you don't want to mince words. You don't want to beat around the bush. I generally recommend people directly ask the question, have you been thinking about killing yourself? And that can sound hard or difficult coming out of your own mouth, but it's really important uh, to actually ask that direct question because if you don't, it's very unlikely the person will spontaneously volunteer it. And many trainings that you'll go through in person will actually have you practice asking this question because mm -hmm. even if you haven't been through those trainings, do this in the car, do this at some point where no one's around. It's much easier to do after you've practiced. Not for each situation, but just once or twice. It's really an awkward thing to ask at first. It almost feels like time stops when you ask the question, and then especially if you get an answer in the affirmative. It's a really odd sensation the first time you do it. But if you can practice, it makes it a lot easier. But again, you start with the open-ended questions before you mm -hmm. get there, but do ask the question. And, and one of the myths I'd like to dispel here is that you're not 
planting a seed mm-hmm. for suicide. I mean, that's that's something that just doesn't happen. The person's not going to say, oh, you know, I haven't been thinking about killing myself, but that's not such a bad idea. That's not how this works, okay? So don't worry about that. Um, what you're looking for is for them to give you a, an honest response as to whether or not they've been thinking about it. And just so you know, just because somebody's been thinking about hurting themselves doesn't mean they actually will. So if they do answer in the affirmative, yes, that those thoughts have been crossing their mind lately, the follow-up question should be, have you been thinking about how you might actually do that? Is that something you're actually considering? Those are the more poignant questions to help you determine whether or not that person needs to be connected to another helping agency or, or a mental health professional. Well, on that note, do you recall the percentage of individuals who will have a thought like this of ending their life within a lifetime? Um, I don't uh, right off the top of my head, but believe it or not, it's extremely common, especially when we get overwhelmed with a lot of uh, various life stressors all at once. Um, I'll, I'll get a little bit personal here and, and share with the audience. I uh, myself have been divorced, and this came at a very difficult time in my life where I was um, experiencing a lot of different stressors, including some of the major ones that I mentioned before. And during that time, even though you know, I myself am a mental health professional, I started to get depressed because I was just so overwhelmed by all these things that were going on over which I felt like I had no control. And so I started to develop that hopelessness. And sure enough, those thoughts started to cross my mind. Now, never in my lifetime would I consider or even start to, to buy into them to contemplate hurting myself. But in that situation, my mind went there. And that's something I want to emphasize, too. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or you're a bad person just because you have those thoughts. Our mind likes to, to go off on tangents like this all the time. And to some extent, we have little or no control over the, the kind of thoughts that do pop into our heads. So if it does happen to you, don't worry. To some extent, that can be normal depending on your, search, uh, your situation. But how you respond to it and, and how you decide whether or not to buy into those thoughts, that's what makes a difference. And one other piece on this, it is very, very common to have these thoughts. If you have a person in your work center that has gone through this and was brought for assistance and individuals know about it, don't act like they're the black sheep coming back into the unit. This has happened a number of times and mm-hmm. many units I've seen across the Air Force. They come back and people have this reticence to hang around with them or say, well, we don't want to go near that person. You know, they, you're walking on eggshells. No, welcome them back. Give them hope. Act like a close wingman to them. Help them as much as you can. Bring them back into the unit. Don't maybe ostracize them or keep them at arm's length. And this is part of the disparity between physical illness and mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is more socially accepted than the other. So, for example, if somebody broke their arm, they you know, had to go through rehab and every, everything and then came back to the unit, we wouldn't ostracize them, right? We wouldn't point them out necessarily as different. You know, maybe jab them a little bit for having a smaller untanned arm for a little while after mm-hmm. the cast comes off. But um, with suicide, we, we perceive it as different because we don't understand it and it makes us uncomfortable. So I would encourage everybody to consider how you know, mental illness, it's, it's just a part of our human condition, just mm-hmm. like any physical illness. And we also need medical professionals sometimes to help us with that mental illness, just like we would do the same if we had a cold or if we broke a, a limb or you know, anything else of a physical nature. So when we think of how to prevent suicide, it starts not not necessarily with um, the intervention, but with the prevention. So how we talk about 
mental health uh, issues around us, how we show support and express that support to the people with whom we work. A lot of times we can create those preventative offsetting factors that will help people when they do encounter those risk factors. Exactly. The biggest part for my department is providing hope. So, for example, if someone comes with a financial difficulty and you see that this is becoming a situation that's out of control, we'll help them find a course, whether it's through Airman Family Readiness, the chapel, or whatnot. Mm -hmm. If it's a relationship problem, there are so many opportunities, whether Military One Source, Military Family Life Counselor, Mental Health, uh, your chaplain, Chaplain. go figure. All of these (laughs) areas are helping agencies, but sometimes it just takes a friend that's next to them that say, hey, it's okay to go. Occasionally, the view of counseling and getting help is viewed as, oh, now I need counseling. No. Counseling or any kind of help is like an oil change for your car. Mm -hmm. Would you go and criticize someone for getting an oil change on their vehicle? No, Mm -hmm. because it's essential to proper functioning. In my opinion, counseling and getting this kind of assistance, whether it's in finances or personal, is, is just like getting an oil change. That's it. Yeah, or trying to do it yourself. I mean, there's there's a personal stigma sometimes that, oh, if I can't handle this myself, that means I'm, I'm weak, that I'm incapable of, of managing my own life. Well, there's plenty of things that I can't do myself and that I'm going to give over to the professionals. An example is changing my oil. Yeah, I can probably do it, but it's going to take me a long time and I'm probably going to be frustrated and I'm probably not going to do as good a job or as quick a job if I hand over to somebody who's trained and who's been doing this for years and years, right? So and there's nothing wrong with going to somebody who is an expert, who has experienced with this and uh, seeing what they can do. Maybe they can help you out with certain things you haven't thought of before. Or even just going to a friend who's experienced something similar. Sometimes that's the biggest support. You know, if you personally have experienced what that person has gone through, maybe not the exact same thing, but something similar, you can reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I, I understand what it's like. You know, maybe I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I've been through something similar, and maybe some of the things that helped me would be helpful for you. Exactly. Well, we hope that this topic, although it dealt with a large variety of subjects going from basically prehab, almost getting the Mm -hmm. situation properly done to rehab all the way through and all the situations in between. We just want to tell you that we appreciate you listening and we want to just give you tools to deal with this difficult topic. So we want to thank you for listening to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgem. And I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. Until next time, if you need us, please reach out to us on the global address list. Finally, thank you for what you do for our nation and we sure hope you have a great day. Mm